Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. At Grace Church, we like to learn a new song with every sermon series. For our current series, Sojourn, we're singing Not Our Home by Jonathan and Emily Martin. If you'd like to hear the song and learn it with us, then stay tuned after the sermon. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. So what's up? You guys excited? Seriously? All right? Worshiping God together is a pretty cool blessing, right? I'm fired up about what God's doing this morning already. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. You guys can flip there. We have uh, some of our story Bibles. Pastor Mike, you know where those are? Oh, we got some right back here, too, if you guys would like. To. And I have my Bible up front. Anybody's more welcome to grab it if they'd like. When I say Ohio State, who gets excited? Any Ohio State fans? One? Okay. It's cool. Um, maybe you guys know this story. Maybe you don't. In, in 2014, Ohio State um, was a team that everybody thought was pretty talented, but uh, they had this new coach, Urban Meyer, right? He had come a year before. When I say Urban Meyer, um, he coached the Florida Gators, took them to two national titles, right? Pretty good football coach. So they bring in Urban Meyer, and what they think is going to happen, okay, this guy can recruit, he knows what he's doing, he's going to be a good coach for us. So he starts doing that, but they're really young. And in college football, really young means you're not good yet. So he's got a bunch of freshmen, a bunch of sophomores, and it's like, okay, you know, give them another year, and maybe they'll turn into something. But then something happened in 2014, a year into the program. They started winning really well. And Ohio State's always won because they have a terrible schedule and they don't play anybody. But that's beside the point. But they were doing well, and they thought, okay, maybe this team's pretty good. I promise for those of you that aren't sports fans, this will make sense in a moment. But they're like, okay, maybe this team's going to be pretty good. And then competitive tragedy strikes. They lose a quarterback. In football, losing your quarterback is like losing your leg. It just, generally speaking, you don't come back from that. Ask the 2015 Florida Gators. That's kind of where my team is at. So they lose this quarterback. It's like, okay, definitely this isn't their year. But then something crazy happens, and they started to play better with a backup quarterback, which isn't supposed to happen. So then it's like, okay, man, there might be something up. It might be Ohio State's year. Then tragedy strikes again, and they lose another quarterback. So say three. That was terrible. Say three. 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 They're down to three quarter. They're third string quarterback. Okay. So third string. That's 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 like putting in someone who's not very good at football. That's what I'm trying to say. Generally speaking, third string quarterback isn't very good. But something crazy happens again. They keep playing well. And as a team, they go on to upset two different teams in the playoffs, and they won the national title. Now, that's a kind of a big deal in college football. And the fact that they did that is an even bigger deal with their third, say three, third-string quarterback. Why on earth would I tell you a story about the 2014 Ohio State Buckeyes? I'm not even a Buckeye fan. I wish Urban Meyer still coached my Gators. The reason I tell you that story is the team was going through a really hard struggle. 
Losing quarterbacks is a big deal. Losing your second quarterback, an even bigger deal. Really hard, hard times, and they had a choice to make. They could lock in together, and they could be a team, and they could try to overcome, or they could fold, and they didn't fold. And that says a lot about the head coach. Because the head coach is the one who's pointing the ship in that direction, like we talked about with the kids up here earlier. When the paper balls were flying, they didn't blink. They kept focus, they got done what they were supposed to get done, and they won the national title. Now, it's kind of funny that that's my opening for my sermon, and then they lost yesterday. Just throwing that out there. But that's, that's besides the point. Urban Meyer is a good football coach. That's the point of it. And we, like, what can you pull from that, right? You're looking at sports. Why, why do I care about sports? It's a good illustration for the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. I promise it'll make sense in a second. When the bullets start flying and crazy stuff is going down, we can trust him. We can trust the direction he has for our lives. And here's the even crazier thing that we're going to see in 1 Peter 4. In all those struggles and all that hardship, that's where he shines sometimes the most in the world in which he's called us to live. I know there's a lot of talking around the passage. We're jumping in there now. But that's the point. We want to do some background in 1 Peter. It's believed to have been written around 64, okay? Some people would say a little bit before. Some people would say a little bit after. It's in that decade. Um, Written to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor, okay? And it was written to encourage them during persecution. History people out there, what's the persecution that's happening around that decade? Anybody? It's cool if you all know. This is Nero. When you think Nero, think Nero. The dude's crazy. Okay, Nero burned Christians. This is where persecution with Christians began. So as we're going through this passage and we're reading through it, think about what Peter is doing. He's writing to people that are either just about to go through the worst persecution that they will ever see, or they're in it. It's one of the two. And he's telling them to take heart that God is still God, even when your friends are being burned. These people knew suffering. These people knew trials. This wasn't losing a quarterback. This was losing your friend. This was literally saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, and that meant you could be killed. That's the suffering that he's writing to them about. And he's, t- he's taken us through these first three chapters saying, you can trust your shepherd. You can trust Jesus to guide you through this dark valley. Even if it kills you. You can still trust him because he's paid for your sin. You literally were dead in sin and now you're alive in him. You could be murdered right now and you could stand before God. That's what he says. And no matter what suffering, no matter what persecution you're in, you can trust the God of the universe. You can trust your shepherd. That's our key principle. The shepherd is glorified by a loving flock going through trials together. That's a lot of words. Let's break this down because you'll see how it kind of uh, presents itself throughout the passage this morning. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Jesus is our shepherd. He's guiding us through. Is glorified. Literally glory being brought to him. 
Okay? Some translations you can actually have, uh, it can actually say his glory is revealed. He's revealing himself. Okay? So the shepherd is glorified by a loving flock. Now you guys have heard the definition of love before. It's meeting a need because there is a need, not expecting anything in return. So the shepherd, Jesus, is glorified. Glory is brought to him by a loving flock. You're the flock. I'm the flock. We're all the flock. That's pretty cool that we can follow Jesus. Going through trials together. Trials are suffering. Trials are persecution. It could be someone making fun of you in class. It could be someone looking at you and saying, you're a moron. You believe that Jesus is God. It could be you're killed. All of those things are happening. We can trust him in all of it. And that's the point that he makes here in 1 Peter 4. So let's give a little bit of a framework for the passage before we jump in. We're going to cover five principles of the shepherd's flock. Who's the shepherd? Who's the flock? Absolutely, right? You guys ready? Sadie's ready. Yes. We're going to begin with the first two verses. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the, in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What? Anybody like, what, what's he talking about here? Right? It's the response principle. The only appropriate response to meeting the God of the universe is obedience. Okay? Choosing, continue, choosing to continue to live in the wilderness alone is madness. The shepherd offers safety and security. What's that a picture of? How many people have done that? That's terrible, right? You put your hand on a, on a hot like frying pan, that's why I don't go anywhere near the kitchen unless it's to eat. Seriously, like, it's terrible, man. Like, a burn is the worst thing in the world. If, if I meet God, is there, if, if I'm introduced to the God of the universe, if I believe what he says is true, is there any other response that's appropriate other than, oh my gosh, you're Lord. You're the God of the universe. I, I don't, I, wow, I will follow you. That's the only appropriate response. Peter points that out here, because remember, he's been laying this out. This is a letter that he wrote to these people that were literally either about to be killed or knew of people that were being killed. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying, since all of these things are true that we've laid out in these previous two, three chapters, but of course he's not thinking chapters, right? We've laid this stuff out, and because all of this is true, you're called to respond to God. You are called by God to live a life for Him. It's all based around the writing that had happened before. Did Christ suffer? Did Jesus suffer? Unbearably, right? So why on earth would we think as Christians, people who claim His name and say we'll follow Him, that we're not going to suffer? Where did this idea pop in where it was like, you know what? Jesus suffered, so I didn't have to. 
right? Jesus died on a cross, so my bank account can be stacked, and I can just get whatever I want, whatever I want, right? Right? And that works? No, it's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous idea. Jesus gave up his life, and he redeemed the world. He redeemed us, brought us, as we said in the beginning, from death to life. If that's not enough, we better check ourselves. If that's not enough, we've got to figure something out here. That truth frames my entire life. That truth frames your entire life. For everyone that's in this room right now, don't misunderstand. You've either accepted Christ's offer, the gift of salvation. You've either said, I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, he was raised from the dead, and that he is coming back. You've either accepted that or you have not. It's one or the other. And this isn't some kind of like, oh, I'm scared. No, you're in one of two camps. That's where we live. The question is, how are you responding? Right? Has anyone ever given you something that just changed your relationship forever? You ever had somebody give you a gift and it just it changed everything about the relationship? When a wife gives herself to a man in marriage, it changes the relationship. The relationship is completely different than how it was before. Vice versa. When someone reaches out in friendship and is willing to give the gift of time, it changes the relationship Forever. It's different now. When Jesus gave the gift of his, himself to us, it changed our relationship forever. We, we either are with him and following him, or we're not, and we're holding a frying pan that's burning us and we don't even realize it. It's terrible. Don't, don't allow that to happen. I, I just, I don't understand it. You can trust him. His word is true. Where are you at with that? Where are you at? Take a minute and think through that. Are, are you following Christ? Have you responded to his call? Because guess what? He called you. And if it's never happened, it just did. Where are you at? Be a part of the flock. Respond to him. He doesn't stop there, though. He continues in verses 3 through 6. This is the meant to live principle. That's, that's a lyric from a Switchfoot song. That's, uh, if, if you're like a, any you know, person who's a Christian who listens to any music that's not hymns, you know who Switchfoot is, right? Right? You guys can laugh. I thought that was funny. Um, Switchfoot, right? They're a pretty cool band. Pastor Michael, I'm going to put you on blast right here in front of everybody because I'm interested. I've never asked you this question. Yay or nay to Switchfoot? Where you at? Yeah, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Like pretty much every other album, it's like really on point. We were meant to live for so much more have we lost ourselves. I love that lyric. We are called to live for him and his life-giving purpose, not our own. Those that decline the shepherd's invitation will be held accountable for their choice. Read this with me. Verses three through six. For the time that is past suffices for what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, and they will have to give an account 
for who is ready to judge the living of the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. It's really hard to, 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 to kind of put that into a, a little segment here. What he's saying is, you were meant to live for more than the drunken party orgy stuff. And here's the thing. He's not speaking in hyperbole. This is the Roman world. Guys, uh, when he says orgy, he means orgy. He's talking about that. Sexual sin is a real thing, and we struggle with it here, and that's a, that's a big deal. But it wasn't a bigger deal now than it is then. They struggled with it too. And what he's saying is you're called out of it. You're meant to live for him, not for your own selfish desires. And the point that he's making here is you're walking with him. Because remember, he's writing to believers. And these people had to go into work. And they had to have those conversations with those people that were inviting them out to this stuff. Those jokes that, you know, uh, it's a little off, right? Guys, you're, you guys <laughs> in a school environment, I mean, are you kidding me? Right? It's crazy. What he's saying is, you were called to live for more. You're meant to live for more than that. And I love the way he phrases it where he says, the time's over. You're past that. And they, the ones who choose not to be a part of the flock, will have to give an account for the choice that they've made. Everyone will stand before the God of the universe and every knee will bow, whether you choose now to bow or not. It will happen. His call brings life. The flesh brings death. What would have happened in Ohio State if that third-string quarterback would have been like, I'm never getting in, and I transferred, and I went to Western Kentucky? What would have happened? You know what he wouldn't have done? Wouldn't have won a national title with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Right? He would have been a quarterback for some other school out there, and I don't know what the rest of his life would have looked like, but he would not have won the 2014 national title. He knows why he created you. You know why? Because he created us, right? If the creator of the universe said, I'm going to create you, I know what you're for because I created you. If we can't trust that, what can we trust, right? You're meant to live for more than you realize. We are. He built us for his purpose, not our own. Our life is no longer our own. He paid for it. Where are we at with that? How, how are you doing with that? Seriously. Maybe you've accepted Christ. Maybe, maybe you're, 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 you're figuring out what that really means. Maybe you've had that salvation experience. You're like, I believe the Bible is true. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I'm just trying to figure out what it, what it means to follow him. What's that like? Know that you're meant to live for more than just the party scene. That means parties are bad. This, what they're talking about is bad, right? We're going to have a meal after this. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. Christians can have a good time too. Just throw that out there, guys. Seriously, like it's a real thing. I didn't believe it when I was your age. I didn't know who Jesus was. I used to make fun of Christians in high school, and I was like, Christians are silly, and they don't know what they're doing. It actually, you can have a good time. Really, it's a real thing. And the reason it's a real thing is because you're meant to live for him. My interactions with people can be more valuable because... 
that are kind of for God. And when you get to that place, it's, it's really cool. Not done there. He continues this whole idea of the flock. I call this, this next principle the employment principle. This is in verses 7 through 11. It says, we are called to get to work using our spiritual gifts for the body. We each bring something to the body that helps. The flock is designed by the shepherd to work together as a family. Pastor Michael talked about this before, right? For those of you guys that were here, he was talking about the whole idea of the cornerstone. Jesus being the thing upon which everything is built. He built the flock. Anybody here have a job? Okay. Who here loves their job? Aw, you guys are awesome in the back. All the rest of us are in the real world. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, just, it, it, the job's a job, right? So when I, when I hear employ, like he says here in verses 7 through 11, I, I don't really get too excited initially, but let's read it and see what he's talking about. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's pointing them to the fact that this world is not the end. The end is coming. The end of all things will come. And to them it was going to feel like it. Because when your friends are being killed, it feels like the end. It's terrible. Peter says to love one another, which remember we said in the beginning is meeting a need because there is a need, expecting nothing in return. We're to come together to help each other through trials with grace, all with the end goal being the glory of. It's awesome that you say God and not us, right? We're not supposed to interact with one another and hang out with one another and live life together just because we're great. We're supposed to do it because it's all for the glory of God. We're supposed to employ our spiritual gifts that he has given us for the glory of God. Come on, right? That's what this is about. There are people in this room that are gifted in different ways, and the God of the universe stamped you with that. He stamped you with it. He said, you will do this because I've equipped you to do this, because back to the previous point, I created you. And I created you to bring glory to myself. And then when you said you knew better and you sinned, I gave my son up to pay for you to bring you back into proper relationship with me. Just mind blown, the, the love of the God we know. For those that, that we talked about that, that, that work now and those that work before, have worked in the past, you ever been in a situation where one person just isn't pulling their weight? Right? And it's like, because that one person isn't doing what they're supposed to do, it's really affecting everybody else. Right? You ever been in that situation? Like you get that one person who's supposed to do A, and because they don't do A, now you have to do, you know, Z, X, and Y. It just adds a ton of work to you. It's tough, right? It's, it's weird, but the body is like that. Now, we're about to get kind of intimate here. We're a very small body. Okay? That's, that's exciting. That's a good thing. 
God is working some cool stuff in this church body. Not the building, the church body. And we see each other pretty directly. There's not 300 people in here where you can look at and say, oh, I don't know who that person is. No, no, we, we pretty much know each other, the people that are here, right? He's equipped us to serve the body. So how are you doing with serving the body? Because remember, one of the cool things is, as, as that, in all seriousness, guys, like we as leadership kind of look through that, and that's happening a ton in this body. The percentage of the amount of people that attend Grace Church that are actively involved in ministry in Grace Church is a very high percentage, and that's exciting. As God continues to bless us, and hopefully we, we grow in terms of the people that we reach in the community, because that's what he's called us to do, I hope the percentage stays the same, or even grows, because we're meant to love one another, to serve one another, and it's not so that the lawn gets mowed. It's so that the glory of God can be proclaimed. It's not about us or the, the carpet or the whatever. It's about the glory of God being proclaimed. It's, that's what it's all about. We get to serve one another together in love, meeting needs, all while following the shepherd. Really cool stuff. Have you thought about your giftedness? Have you thought about that? Take that to God. You know, seriously, like think through, okay, God, what have you equipped me to do? Right? Because, I mean, I gotta say, when you're doing what God has equipped you to do, it's, it's really fun. Because it's the same point from before. He created you to do it, so when you get to do it, it's kind of really cool. Right? You guys excited? Are you excited? All right, no, I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it, guys. We're almost done. Verses 12 through 16. This is the clarity principle. Obedience while suffering is one of the most effective methods of revealing God to the world. Bringing glory to the shepherd is trusting him even in the dark valleys. He says here, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Remember the context of who he's writing to. Don't suffer as a murderer or an evildoer. Suffer as a Christian. When you're killed because you know who Jesus is, focus on the glory of God. That's a heavy thing. Obedience while suffering is one of the most effective methods of revealing God to the world. Do you guys remember that Charleston shooting that happened not too long ago where the guy walked into a church building and shot a bunch of people? Probably the greatest example that I've seen recently of someone, of a, of a group of people loving God is the interviews that you heard with those people after. Their friends and family were killed. And they were publicly declaring forgiveness for the one who shot them. And, and guess, guess what was happening? It wasn't showing off how forgiving they were. 
what it was showing off is the God they serve and how he changed their life. That's what was happening. That brought a clarity. Glorifying God, revealing the glory of God, it was showing it in a way that could not have happened had that tragedy not happened. Incredibly powerful stuff. Peter points back here to an image that he used in chapter one. Do you see where he says fiery trial? This is really cool. Um, anybody here ever uh, purified metal? No, probably not, right? I can barely use a screwdriver, and only on Tuesdays. But when you purify metal, you boil it, right? Or melt it, whatever. You get it to the point where it's malleable. Well, guess what happens? The imperfections rise to the top, right? That's how they would purify like gold, things like that. So he's hearkening back to this image, this fiery trial. So what he's saying is, is the suffering that you're going through is literally burning off the imperfections. And then guess what would happen? The person who was doing the smelting or whatever the term is, clearly I prepared for this, would take it and they would pull off the imperfections from the top leaving something that was more perfect than it was before. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going through. Remember the James reading? Because God is working out our walk with him. Remember the study from Galatians. It's our sanctification, our following God, our walking with him. That's what he's talking about here. The problem is that melting hurts. You ever touched anything extremely hot and it didn't hurt? If you did, you're psycho. It hurts. And when God takes away the imperfections of my life, sometimes I really like those imperfections. And I really want to hold on to them. And sometimes he has to break my finger to get me to let it go. But when that happens, and I respond appropriately to the God of the universe... I have the opportunity to bring clarity to him. I have the opportunity to help reveal the glory of God in what he does through our lives. Our, our sister church, Sebring, our pastor down there, Pastor Randy, uh, they had a guys weekend a few years ago, like one of those, you know, men, woods, camp kind of, kind of weekends, right? So they're playing kickball because that's what you do, you know, when you're middle-aged. They're playing kickball, and Pastor Randy rounds a base, steps in a hole, his leg gives out and gets mangled up behind him. Pretty nasty stuff. Turns out he ended up breaking his ankle in like multiple places. It was pretty bad. All these guys, older guys, younger guys, middle-aged guys are all there out in the woods. Pastor Andy's laying on the ground, broken leg, like essentially the broken ankle, right? Everyone comes over, whoa. You think he was screaming and cursing or going nuts or, you know, he was praying to his heavenly father. That moment revealed more to those guys than almost any sermon. A sermon, I mean, sermons are power. I, I, I obviously value sermons. But that was a real life situation where they saw pain. They saw hurt. And they saw how he responded to it. And his response was, God, 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 God. He was clinging fast to his God. And those younger guys still talk about it. This is like six years ago, I think, seven years ago. These are teenage guys that are still talking about that. How are you doing with struggling through trials? 
Okay? This one should probably hit home for all of us. Because this is pretty tough. When trials hit me, I cry like a big baby. What about you guys? Are we taking those opportunities to cling to him? To fall down before him? And to suffer as a Christian? And know that that's what's going to happen? We've decided to follow Christ. He died for us. Last one. It's the trust principle. This is in verses 17 through 19. God's promise is not ease. It's persecution that will bring about his glory. The safest place the flock can be is with the shepherd. Verse 17 through 19 reads this way. God's pro- um, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Notice the in there, while doing good. Trust him even in the trials and craziness while doing good. He doesn't stop there. We studied that in Ecclesiastes today. Peter continues that judgment is coming and judgment would come to the household of God, to the people who were there, who were proclaiming God's word at the first century, okay? Jesus had been dead for like 30 years, okay? This is pretty early on. Are you a Christian? Because if you are, you're going to die. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You're going to die. And they they did. That's suffering. There's no passage in the Bible that God says it's going to be easy. He doesn't say everything's going to be hunky-dory. It's all going to be, you know, uh, kittens and puppies, right? He doesn't say that. It's not there. What he says is that he paid for your life through his sacrifice. He'll use whatever methods he sees fit to tell his story to the world. We get to be a part of that story. The offensive linemen at Ohio State were never promised they were going to catch a touchdown. They were never promised they were going to get a handoff. They never promised. They were never promised anything. Well, it was, hey, block. And if you do your job well, we'll have an opportunity to compete. They did. And they won. They did their job. They followed their shepherd. It's just tracking. Do you trust the creator of your soul to secure it? Have you made a profession of faith to follow Christ? Do you trust him? You can. You should. He kind of went earth, right? It's kind of crazy. He kind of breathed life into stuff. I don't know anybody else has ever done that. I know my Heavenly Father has. So in closing, why do you care? All this that Peter's talking about to these Romans so long ago, why do you care about it? You care because you can't be in the flock without first responding to God's call. You were called by God to live for him, not your own lesser desires. He has given you the ability to serve his flock in a powerful way. He reveals himself to the world in the way his people respond to suffering. That is so powerful, guys. Don't miss that. And you can trust him. We can trust the God of the universe. Key principle is that the shepherd is glorified by a loving flock going through trials together. Okay? So, you know Christ. 
you give your life to him. Okay? I've accepted Jesus' gift. I'm following him. I, okay? All right? I, I, yeah? I, I, I can track with this. Okay? I can see what this is like. But, but can I trust him to have my best interest at heart? Can I trust him to put me in a position to succeed? Can I trust him to give me what I want when I want? You can trust him to use you. You can trust him to have paid for the sins of your life, to have literally brought you from death to life, and then say, I'll use you now. I'll use you in the story I'm telling. You can be on my team. And before you ever stepped on the field, the trophy was raised. He's already won. Standing in this moment right now, he's already won. It's over. He's outside of time looking and going, I did that. I paid for your sin. I redeemed the world through my son, Jesus Christ. You can respond to that. You can have a life with me. You can walk with me. You can have intimacy with the God who created you. And you can have security in knowing that you have been brought from death to life and that you can live with him eternally. Or you can say, I want to be king of my own life. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. No thanks, God. And he'll say, okay. You can have that. You can have a life separated from him eternally. You can have that. It's terrible. It's literally the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, ever. The joy is, we get to wake up this morning and come together and worship the God who created us. We get to sing his praises. We get to bound ourselves together in this flock. We get to follow our shepherd through the dark times and know that even if some of us get picked off and killed, he's still good. That's where we're at. Trophy's already up in the air. What team you on? Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And now we're presenting Not Our Home by Jonathan and Emily Martin. Foreigners, we are travelers to a country of our own. We are citizens of heaven, waiting for our King to come. We are making our exodus out of this world of sin and death. Pass along, we will call to all 
Join our band of vagabonds We are making our exodus Out of this world of sin and death We are making our exodus Into the life that he's promised Headed for the kingdom. 